In the previous session, we talked about the Islamic view of human sin. And we refer to some contemporary Muslim theologians that give a very positive view of man according to Islam. They are especially emphasizing the greatness of man and his ability to obey God in contrast to Christian theology. But the reality of the matter is that Islam has a lot to say about salvation of man. There is a great deal in the Quran, a uh, great deal of verses in the Quran that refers to heaven and hell and the judgment of God. We will briefly outline what the Quran says about final days of judgment. And Muslims uh, live in a great deal of fear, even in this day, about what will happen to them after death. So I don't want you to uh, think from last session's teaching that Muslims are just very confident people, you know, and very sure of who they are in their relationship to God. Now, Muslims in the West might act confident because they are dealing with Christians that talk about sin and the need for a savior. But there is a great deal of uncertainty in the life of an average Muslim about if God will accept them or not when they die. Islam is not simply concerned with life on earth. According to the Quran, this life is only a preparation for the afterlife. In fact, many scholars of Islam uh, have made this observation about the Quranic revelations, that the earliest parts of the Quran were not even about monotheism or one God. The earliest messages of the Quran were mainly warnings of the coming day of judgment. People are challenged to live a life of righteousness in view that one day they have to give an account to God. One Muslim theologian has said, the doctrines of eternal salvation or damnation constitute the central theme of the Quran. Let's talk about uh, my first point in this session. Let's talk about the Islamic view of the death of the individual person. Surah 3, verse 185. Every soul shall have a taste of death, and everyone will be paid their full reward on the day of judgment. Surah 23, verses 15 and 16. Again, repeats the same idea, that everybody will de die and face the day of judgment. I am going to refer to a lot of uh, verses in the Quran uh, in our discussion. I, I don't want you to look up all the verses. Surah 56, verse 83. It's claimed that the soul of the dying man comes up to his throat. Surah 6, verse 93, talks about how uh, angels, uh, you know, receive the souls of people at the moment of death. Surah 8, verse 50, talks about, again, the horror of unbelievers when angels come to receive their souls. There is a lot of materials, both in the Quran and Islamic tradition, about the moment of death and how angels are involved with receiving the souls of people. Death is a very fearful moment in the life of a Muslim. Let me give you a personal example. I had made comments, not in the class, but uh, that about things that impress Muslims when they come to a Christian community. When Muslims come to a church and see Christians singing to God and joyful, that really impresses them. When Muslims see that Christians have this intimate prayer time with God in their own language, uh, that impresses them. You know what, what, what else impresses Muslims? is when they see how Christians face death and when they come to funeral services of Christians. 
Muslim funeral services are full of crying and just tears and agony. They're amazed to see real believers in Jesus facing their funeral with such calm and assurance. After the moment of death, there is a great deal of literature in Islam about life in the grave. Islamic tradition has a lot to say about how angels come and start questioning you in the grave. Uh, Prophet Muhammad's wife, Ayesha, has this tradition to say. He said, never did I see the face of Allah's messenger, never did I see Allah's messenger observe his prayer and not seek refuge with Allah from the torment of the grave. For unbelievers, grave is a moment of great fear and torment and torture. And then for believers, grave is a time of great rest and peace. After the discussions on the life in the grave, then there is a lot of discussion in Islam about the final hour. In uh, Surah 33:63, we read this. Uh, God is saying to Muhammad that people are asking you about the final hour. And God says to Muhammad, tell the people that the knowledge of the final hour is only with God. Surah 20, verse 15 says that God has kept this knowledge of final hour hidden just to himself. But there are dramatic scenes in the Quran about eschatology, about the final hour. The sky is, uh, is torn asunder. The stars are scattered. The graves are turned upside down. The sun is folded. The mountains vanish. The oceans will boil over. And each soul will know what its rewards will be. Surah 81 and Surah 82, the beginning verses of these surahs give you some examples of, these hours, of this hour. There are also a lot of traditions in Islam about what will be going on in the final days. We will not get, get into those details, but according to the traditional Islamic understanding, you know, um, things will get very bad. Immorality, corruption will spread the earth. And then Jesus will come back. That's one of the signs of the final hour. Now, for you Christians, you shouldn't be too happy about that. Don't get too excited. Jesus is coming back. Because when he comes back, he will break the crosses. He will kill the pigs. He will establish true Islam on earth. Some accounts say he will marry and have children. And then he will die and be buried next to Prophet Muhammad. And then the final resurrection will happen. And there are dramatic accounts of the final resurrection in the Quran. Surah 69, verses 13 to 16, as an example. That the trumpets will blast. The trumpets will blast. The earth will be moved. The mountains will be crushed to powder. And the angel of resurrection will resurrect all bodies from the grave. And the books of people's works will be opened up and they will be judged. Um, there, a there are a lot of details of the Day of Judgment. Muslims don't try to put them, I mean, traditional Muslims used to try to put them in chronological order. Uh, but most Muslims today don't view these as chronological, but just as symbolic of what will happen. Uh, there will be scales weighing people's deeds. Your body parts will cry out and testify against you. Other people will come to testify. And then on top of all that, there will be a bridge. It's called Sirat. That's actually for historians of religions uh, know that 
that was an idea taken into Islam from Zoroastrian religion. Zoroastrian is an ancient Iranian religion. And so this thin bridge is like, it's like sharp as a, as a blade. And those who will go to hell will fall off this bridge, and those who will make it to heaven will cross it successfully. And then there will be heaven and hell. Uh, the Quran has a lot to say about the blissfulness of heaven, and many people have some inklings about these descriptions of heaven in the Quran. Uh, there will be gardens of felicity. There will be a lot of beautiful women. They will be drinking wine that does not make you drunk. Uh, there will just be a lot of fun things in heaven. And many Muslims uh, are, not, they are perfectly fine with that uh, carnal description of heaven in the Quran. The Christian image of heaven is very much focused on the worship of God. The worship of God does not play a major role in the description of heaven in the Quran. Now, God will be there too, and people will worship him. But there's a lot more emphasis on all the food and the drinking and the, the, the ladies and the pleasures. And uh, Al-Farughi makes this comment. He says, Islam is a very world-affirming religion. We don't have monks in Islam like Christians. Islam wants us to enjoy life on this earth and will continue to enjoy it even more in heaven. So let me just give you some references. We will not look at them, but let me just give you some references about these descriptions of heaven. Surah 37, verse 43. Surah 37, verse 48. That's the verse that especially talks about the beautiful women companions. Also, Surah 52, verse 20. And uh, Surah 56, verse 22. And uh, again, there are uh, many other surahs like this. Surah 74, verse 19. So that's the description of heaven. And then in hell, there are horrible tortures in hell. Boiling water. Uh, your skin falling off your body. You're being, you know, the hooks that are in your flesh that pull you up. It is, the Quran is very vivid in its description of the tortures of hell. And Muslims are very fearful of it. I want to give you a personal story. Uh, many years ago, a relative of mine was trying to convince me to become a Muslim again. And he brought a, a clergyman to, come to talk to me and persuade me to come back to Islam. And I asked him, I said, now, but that relative, uh, uh, he himself was not a good Muslim at all. He drank a lot of alcohol. He never prayed. He never fasted. He just did not live a Muslim life at all. And I told him, I said, if Islam is true, you'll be in trouble too. But he said, all I remember from childhood is this, that hell is a horrible place, and the worst part of it is for people like you that have become Christians. So I just want to rescue you from that. So there's a lot of fear instilled in people. Now let's get into the major part of our session now. And we want to talk about the Islamic doctrine of salvation. We said that, uh, although some Muslims, like Al-Farughi, said, oh, we, we, we don't have salvation in Islam. Because man is not sinful and fallen, he does not need redemption or a savior. It's true that the Christian understanding of salvation doesn't exist in Islam, but salvation is very much central to Islam. Salvation from hell and going into heaven. And so, in Islam, Muslims do not talk about conversion, 
Islam says we were born innocent as children. We were born with a blank tablet. There's a tradition from Prophet Muhammad that only our parents make us, make us Jews or Christians. People are born innocent and with the natural inclination to be Muslims. So when people are, so, so Islam doesn't talk about conversion, but talks about reversion. We need to return back to our first state of being Muslims. According to Islam, Islam is the religion of nature. The whole nature submits to God, and man in his innocence also submits to God, but man easily goes astray. We are forgetful, and so we need to be reminded of the original truth. According to Islam, there are, the salvation consists of several parts. Faith and action. In Arabic, it's iman. Faith is iman, and action is amal. Surah 5, verse 10 is an example. It says, to those who believe and do deeds of righteousness, God has promised forgiveness and a great reward. Muslim theologian says that, uh, I mean, well, uh, the, the faith that the Quran talks about is very simple to understand. It doesn't have all the mysteries of Christian faith like the Trinity and atonement and original sin. So what is this faith that the Quran and Islam talk about? According to Islamic theology, faith has to do with believing in the oneness of God, in the prophethood of Muhammad, and belief in life after death. So faith is not just saying, oh, I believe in God. Correct faith has to have all these elements. And so the Islamic shahada is very important in, in the understanding of being, becoming a Muslim. To say that you confess there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. And in addition to having the correct faith, you have to have actions. You can't just say, oh, I just believe, and, but I don't need to live the life. In fact, you will meet millions upon millions upon millions of Muslims, if you travel to the Muslim world, that never, never say their prayers, don't know any, haven't touched the Quran, drink alcohol in secret, don't fast during the month of Ramadan. They, they consider themselves but good Muslims. Now, I usually tell them, if Islam is true, you will be in trouble because you have to have actions to, with your faith. Saying your prayers is not an option in Islam. You have to do it this way. So, Katarega, uh, a Muslim theologian, writes this. Belief alone is not enough. Man must practically perform all the duties required of him by the Islamic faith. Man must do the worship. And wor uh, with the Arabic for worship is ibadat. And worship involves performing all the duties commanded by God and all other good deeds. So salvation of one's soul depends on proper and correct performance of these acts. And that's why I told you in the first sessions in the introduction why Muslim scholars focus so much on writing manuals for daily living. I told you about the five categories of ethical actions. And it's very important to be concerned about every aspect of your life, whether you are obeying God's commands or not. Katarega concludes with this observation. So if anyone 
performs all his essential obligations without leaving out any one of them, his place is in paradise. It is through proper worship that man can hope for paradise. And we said that, uh, I, I, we have read this verse before, uh, Surah 23, verses 102 and 103, that your good deeds have to be heavier, uh, otherwise, you know, you will not be saved. So that's why in Islam, nobody can be certain of their salvation, because you just don't know if you are obeying all the things you need to obey. Now, you can be hopeful of God's mercy, you can hope for God's forgiveness, but there is no assurance or certainty. Now, in Islam, there is also grace, and grace in Islam is this. If a believer does a good deed, he will be rewarded ten times the value of the good deed. But if he does a bad deed, he will only be punished for that deed. In traditional Islam, it was even considered, it was considered very improper to say that you are saved. They would say, I mean, if, to this day, I mean, that's the case to this day also. But Al-Ghazali has some interesting comments about this. Al-Ghazali was the famous Muslim theologian who died in the early part of the 12th century. He says, all the fathers of Islam, all the early leaders of Islam, were careful to ref refrain from giving a, an answer to this question. If somebody says, are you a believer, not are you assured of salvation, just the question, are you a believer? The answer should be, if Allah wills. Because you don't know if your belief is good enough, if your repentance is good enough, if your good merits are good enough. So nobody should even say, I'm a believer. If Allah wills, he, I, will, I, I might be a believer. <laughs> But to many Muslims, this lack of assurance of salvation is not a problem at all. It's not, not a weakness, but in fact, it's the motivating factor for living an ethical life. Farooqi says, you know, uh, it's great to enter Islam for any person. But the entry into Islam does not guarantee personal justification before God. There is nothing the new believer can do which will assure him of salvation. Islam denies that a human can attain salvation on the basis of faith alone. I'm reading from Farooqi. Only the works and deeds constitute justification in God's eyes. On the scale of virtue and righteousness, people occupy various positions. The scale of justice is infinite, and there is no point at which a Muslim may carry his assurance of salvation with him. Everyone strives, and some strive more than others. Listen to the next part of this sentence. Religious justification is thus the Muslim's eternal hope, never their complacent certainty, not even for a fleeting moment. So they say, you just have to do your best, and you've got to keep striving. It's here, but, but there is an exception, and that's if you are martyred in a jihad. Jihad gives you direct access to heaven. Um, there are a number of verses, Surah 3, verse 195, Surah 2, verse 25, Surah 3, verses 157 and 158, Surah 22, verses 58 and 59. 
Now, there, there are other verses, but I'm just giving you an example. So, if you die in the cause of Allah, Allah will blot out all your sins and admit you into paradise. And that's why martyrdom is such a honored, uh, has such an honored place in Islam. Now, I want to go on to another part here, and that is the concept of salvation for other people. What is the Islamic view of salvation for other religions? Now, this is a, especially an important issue in our time because uh, in our day and age, we hear so much criticism against Christians for being, ex being exclusivists. Uh, people say, you Christians are so close-minded for just believing Jesus is the only way. And Muslims come and say, see, Islam is, is uh, more in tune with, uh, with the beliefs of the people today. Because there are some verses in the Quran that seem to be very positive about people of other religions. Today, the popular opinion among most people in the world is pluralism. And so all religions, all roads lead to God. And uh, so this is also, we need to pay attention to what the Quran says on this. They say that um, there are some, again, very positive verses I want us to look at in the Quran. Let's look at Surah 2, verses 111 and 112. It seems like a very positive verse. Many Muslims I know love to quote a verse like this from the Quran. It says, And they say, None shall enter paradise unless he be a Jew or a Christian. Those are their vain desires. Say, produce your proof if you are truthful. And verse 112, Nay, whoever submits his whole self to God and is a doer of good, he will get his reward with his Lord. On such shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. Surah 2, verse 62 is another example. Again, many Muslims who uh, uh, want to be kind to people of other religions quote this verse. Those who believe in the Quran and those who follow the Jewish scriptures and the Christians and the Sabians any who believe in God and the last day and work righteousness shall have their reward with their Lord. On them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. A very beautiful verse. Very understanding, very tolerant. So when Muslims say Islam is a peaceful religion, you know, they, they, they quote these verses. Surah 5, verse 72. I won't read it, but it's repeating the very same concept we just read in the other verse. That those who believe the Quran, the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures, everybody who believes in God and the last day and does righteousness will receive their reward from God. But as we, you have learned in the series of these courses, that you can find very many conflicting verses in the Quran on any topic. The passages that were revealed in the earlier time of Muhammad's ministry are more tolerant, more open. The passages that were revealed later seem to be more hostile to people of other faiths. So, Surah 3, verse 85, this is what we read. Again, your verses might be up or down by a couple of numbers, but... If anyone desires a religion other than Islam, never will it be accepted of him, and in the hereafter he will be lost, 
he will be in the ranks of those who have lost all spiritual good. So it seems that there is, this is a, quite a different contrast to other verses that we looked at. Surah 3, verse 19, similarly. The religion before God is Islam. So there is only one way, and that's the way of Islam. Because the Quran, even when the Quran says, talking about those who believe in God, there is a qualification there. You cannot, according to Islam, you cannot say you believe in God and not believe in Prophet Muhammad. Surah 4, verses 150 and, uh, 151, it, said, I mean, it, it denounces people who say, we believe this prophet and not this other prophet. You cannot do that. You must believe God and all his prophets, including the final prophet, Prophet Muhammad. Anybody who rejects the prophethood of Muhammad it cannot be a believer. On top of this, the Quran is very emphatic that the one sin God will not pardon is the sin of shirk. And we Christians, according to the Quran, commit the sin of shirk because we associate Jesus with God. According to a tradition from Prophet Muhammad, and this is a very popular tradition, any Jew or Christian who heard about me and did not believe in me and what was revealed to me of the Holy Quran and my traditions, his ultimate destination is the hellfire. Another Muslim theologian puts it this way. He says, faiths of previous revealed religions are not entirely free from corruption now, and so cannot be a means to salvation. The faith of Islam is the only completely valid faith. You cannot say you believe in God and deny his apostle. I usually have a, uh, a comment I make all the time when I'm teaching on Islam, especially in America, where many people want to say all religions teach the same thing. This, is, this has become a very big issue in the world today, the issue of pluralism. Uh, the fact that because of all the political tensions, all the violence in the world, many leaders are saying, let's all say we all believe the same thing and all roads lead to God. But we cannot sacrifice truth for the sake of convenience. And many Muslims really believe, really believe, because they haven't read the Quran or the Bible, many Muslims really believe that all religions teach the same thing. And there's really no difference, no real big difference between the Quran and the Bible. I just want to cite one example. Surah 9, verse 30. Surah 9, verse 30 is a very, very important verse. We will come back to it later when we are talking about Christ. But it also relates to the issue of salvation. I will read from the second sentence of the verse. And the Christians call Christ the Son of God. That's a saying from their mouth. In this, they but imitate what the unbelievers of old used to say. Yusuf Ali translates the next part. God's curse be on them. How they are deluded away from the truth. The Arabic used in this verse, that word Yusuf Ali translates curse, is the word qatala. It means kill. Or fight. Some other translations of the Quran say, may God kill them. Some translations say, may God fight them. This book comes 600 years after Christ. It says it has come from God, denies the crucifixion of Christ, 
denies the deity of Christ and says, Christians who believe in Jesus as the Son of God are under the curse of God. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the Word of God says this, and this is the testimony. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. One book claims to be from God and says the key to eternal life is to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Another book says you are under the curse of God if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God. All religions don't, te don't teach the same thing. They can't both possibly be true. And in fact, I love the word in 1 John when John says this is our testimony. Because we Christians don't, I mean, in Islam, you have the word shahada. Shahada is when you declare, you, te you testify, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. And by declaring that, you enter Islam. 1 John says that's our shahada in the Christian faith. That's our testimony. This is what makes us a Christian, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Our time is coming to an end in this session. We have looked briefly at uh, various aspects of salvation in Islam. We have seen that Islam uh, has, a, has a very key place for salvation, but salvation is very much determined on what you believe and your acts of good deeds. This is very contrary to the message of the Bible. And so in the next session, we will talk about how to make a biblical response to the Islamic position of sin and salvation. How can we talk to a Muslim to communicate with him about the Christian view of sin and salvation? So we will continue this discussion in the next session.